It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios, welcome Sandy, thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in DC is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me or you or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You all right? <laughs> I'm a musician, I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Cindy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. Vice President Biden Vice President, that was a joke. And Joe Biden and I did a lot together. We helped save the global economy, made record investments in clean energy, we put guardrails on our financial system, we helped turn the auto industry around, repeal don't ask, don't tell, but nothing made me prouder than providing better health care and more protections to millions of people across this country. So that was yesterday in the White House. Barack Obama returned for the first time since he was president. They were celebrating the anniversary of Obamacare. And that first remark that he made was really a mockery of Joe Biden because Joe Biden can't seem to get the name of Kamala Harris correct and straight, keeps misintroducing her. I don't play a lot of those clips because what is the point? What is the point? Uh, I just, but anyway, so Barack Obama starts out by actually mocking him by calling um, him by the wrong name. And so, uh, so it went and Joe Biden spoke and the takeaway that you're going to hear today, if you haven't already heard it, is that Joe Biden in the video clips that you will see, if you look, is wandering around the room like an, just an old confused man. It's, um, He's got turning his back. He's got like his mouth half open and he doesn't know who to talk to. And no one's talking to him. Everyone's clamoring for Barack Obama, even for Kamala. And you see him at one point reach out, put his hand on the shoulder from behind, put his shoulder on Barack Obama, like trying to get his attention. And Barack Obama keeps talking to all the people clamoring around him. Uh, It was uh, pathetic. And some are saying very sad. But, you know, uh, I don't feel sorry. I really don't because... Joe Biden had some understanding of what he was doing. And since that time, you have seen these moments of cogent conversation from him. And what I find is that he is still the same mean, lying person he has been for years. You just thought he was a nice guy, moderate, right? But those of us nearer what the decisions he made and the things that he did knew better than that. There's there's nothing nice about Joe Biden. He's always been snarky, and he's doing tremendous damage. Unless we lose, you know, sight of that, that reminds me of a story today. This is an expansion on something I told you, I think, yesterday. This is from the Free Beacon. You know, there was a, what, White House on, there was Transgender Day of Visibility. And I did mention that yesterday. So the White House did something very special. Uh, They decided to announce, you know, their support for transgender kids. And now they are promoting the use of puberty blockers for transgender children And they're citing a study from an LGBT group funded in part by the manufacturer of the controversial drugs. And let me tell you in the weeds a little bit more what they're doing. In statements commemorating Transgender Day of Visibility, the White House and Department of Health and Human Services cited research from the Trevor Project to support the use of puberty puberty blockers, hormone therapy, and sex reassignment procedures in children seeking to change genders. Two of the Trevor Project's donors, Abby V and Allergen, make drugs and medical products used in the medical gender transition process. And so the bottom line is they're using a study that was paid for in part by drug companies that are manufacturing drugs that go to these kids to change their genders. So that's who the White House is citing as their expert, as they're sharing in the glory of um, Transgender Day of Visibility. They claim, the Trevor Project claims that kids are much happier, they're less likely to have depression and suicidal thoughts if they're allowed to have these hormone blockers. But of course, that's diametrically opposed to earlier studies where children later on certainly display very 
I don't know what the stats are on this offhand by, by, by the adolescents and the children, but the suicide rate and the attempted suicide rate of among transgender persons in general is incredible. So this is this. I don't do. I feel sorry for Joe Biden because he because he's got dementia, at least in part, he's losing it and he's wandering around. No one's talking to him. No, I don't. No, I don't. Because he's doing tremendous damage and don't think that he doesn't on some part understand what he's doing. And that takes us to the Pentagon. I told you yesterday, the Pentagon had released numbers on this study. They did study, no, uh, this attempt to purge the military of, you know, extremists. And I mentioned to you at least one stat. They'd found in the entire year, in this entire witch hunt, which is what it is, they'd found 100 so-called extremists that they had released out of, you know, thousands and thousands of mil- nothing, really. And that's all led by Lloyd Austin, uh, the Secretary of uh, Defense. And he was, in the, uh, he was at, in the Congress yesterday, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin. And he was asked, uh, because he's asked for millions of dollars in defense spending, so he got in the crosshairs of Matt Gates, and first Matt asked him about um, how the Department of Defense is inviting socialists to speak at military institutions and forcing recruits to learn critical race theory. And Lloyd Austin initially goes, "Well, I don't know about uh, I don't know about." Well, here it is, right here. This is the man. This is what he says. And Matt read quotes from the uh, socialist who came to speak at this defense academy. Uh, and Lloyd Austin kept kept his cool and kept claiming he wasn't sure he didn't know anything about that. And so then Matt morphs into this and really gets takes the gloves off. And this was the exchange. I think you should hear it. This is clip two. I just can't help but like notice. And so your you guys question been, was whether or not we. I control the time. Your, your question was You guys was have been blowing a lot of calls socialism. lately on the matters of no. strategy, Mr. Secretary. You guys told us that Russia couldn't lose. You told us that the Taliban couldn't immediately win. And so I guess I'm wondering what in the $773 billion that you're requesting today is going to help you make assessments that are accurate in the face of so many blown calls? You've, you've seen what's in our budget. You've seen how the budget matches the strategy. And so I'll let that speak for itself. Well, I mean, I've also seen that we're behind, Mr. Secretary. We're behind in hypersonics. We failed to deter Russia. Last year, China so what do you, what do you, what do you mean we're behind in hypersonics? How, how do you... Okay, how do you, who do you, who's ahead in hypersonics? How do you make that assessment? I don't know. How, is, may, is I make that assessment one? because is China is fielding hypersonic weapon systems and we are still developing them. Are I make that assessment because Russia actually used or one. Development of By the way, your own people brief us that we are behind and that China is winning. Are you aware of the briefings we get on hypersonics? I am certainly aware of briefings that we provide to, to Congress. But it, it's not just the hypersonics. It's all over the world. It's in Taiwan, where China last year flew more sorties than ever before. It's North Korea on pace to shatter prior records, the number of missiles that they, that they are testing. And so while everyone else in the world seems to be developing capabilities and being more strategic, we got time to embrace critical race theory at West Point, to embrace socialism at the National Defense University, to do mandatory pronoun training. Do you it's, assess- You know, it's, it's, again, this is the most capable, the most combat credible force in the world. It has been, and it will be so uh, going forward. Not if and we continue budget down this path. To do that. Not if we embrace socialism. The, the fact that you're embarrassed by your by your country. By oh no no, no I'm embarrassed by I'm, your leadership. I'm sorry for I am that. not embarrassed for my country. I wish it's we were not losing saying. to China. It's I what wish you're we saying. Were, you know what? The that's you know that is so that, that is so disgraceful that you would sit here and conflate your failures with the failures of the uniformed service members. You guys said that that Russia would overrun Ukraine in 36 days. You said that the Taliban would be kept at bay for months. You totally blew those calls. And maybe we would be better at them if the National Defense University actually worked a little more on strategy and a little less on wokeism. Has it occurred to you that Russia has not overrun Ukraine because of what we've done? And our allies have done. But that was have, baked have you into your flawed assessment. That? that was baked into your flawed assessment. And so yeah, I saw that the Obama administration the, the that tried to destroy our military by starving it of resources. And it seems the Biden administration is trying to destroy our military by force feeding it wokeism. I yield. All right. So, bam, I'm glad. Thank you, Matt Gates. That was fabulous. And Lloyd Austin had a no defense. Did you hear any defense in that that convinced you? Remember that this is the Secretary of Defense that uh, told Congress last year that the number one leading national security threat to the U.S. was white racism. Yeah, 
And so, uh, and we know what they're doing with gender and with forcing COVID vaccines on the military. It's disgraceful. And he deserved every minute of that and a whole lot more. Uh, so, you know, I don't know. Nothing will probably come from that because the Democrats control Congress right now. But there is value in truth. There is just value in stating the truth and also making people know, putting them on notice uh, that they are lying and that they are uh, that their activities and their choices are horrendous. They need to be exposed. I would have gone. I would have drilled down more in Afghanistan and the terrible things they did there and how the soldiers lost their lives because of the way they mishandled that, that sudden withdrawal. But um, anyway, you can only say so much in the time that you have in Congress. Uh, so with that, it reminds me of another decision that the uh, we should feel sorry Joe, for Joe Biden, but I don't category, and that would be this Title 42 that they're lifting. I think it's May the 23rd, something like that, and they're estimating that um, incredible amounts of illegal immigrants will now flood more than twice what are coming over the border now, which is like about seven or 8,000 a day. And um, Title 42, of course, claims that COVID is a problem. Well, yeah, okay, so COVID is a problem and people coming over the border illegally just might, you know, transmit COVID into the population. That's what President Trump was using to keep a lot of illegal immigrants out. And it's been the only the only remaining uh, barrier between complete open opening of the borders. And so the Biden administration, the CDC, uh, this administration has decided that, you know, well, they're following the science. And if you think I'm just being smart by saying that, this is Secretary of State uh, Anthony Blinken uh, in an interview uh, over the weekend talking about the lifting Title 42, Clip 12. Before I let you go, the Biden administration announced this week that you will lift a Trump era pandemic restriction called Title 42, mm. which restricted immigration at the southern border. It comes as your administration says there could be up to 18,000 apprehensions of undocumented migrants per day. Does the administration see an influx of migrants as a, as a problem? And can you guarantee that they will be treated humanely? Well, Donna, first, when it comes to Title 42, all along we've been following the science. That's what this is about. So when uh, the, the CDC and others uh, conclude that the science doesn't uh, doesn't warrant that, uh, as is now happening. Uh, then we'll, we'll we'll take action. Here's my focus, uh, right, and uh, I the don't vice president's focus, focus is. Well. Hey, did you hear what he just said? The CDC has said we're going to follow the science. So suddenly, COVID is not a threat from illegal immigrants coming across the border because you know, and so they're going to follow the science. Not so much, you know, in America, in schools, and in cities, in hospitals in airplanes, uh, in, you know, public transportation, not so much following the science there, or maybe the science says different things for illegal immigrants who come from third world countries and don't have the medication for any diseases that we do in treatments, uh, that suddenly the CDC must be saying that, you know, for some reason the COVID that comes from that group of people or the disease is not so bad, so we don't need any restrictions. But for those of us Americans who are flying on airplanes and, you know, taking public transportation, we, we are the real danger, and we must still be masked and, uh, you know, controlled. And so it's uh, it's just amazing. It's bizarre. Jay Johnson, who was the Homeland Security Secretary under Barack Obama, actually said this. This is clip seven. All right. Well, that's Jay. Anyway, Jay Johnson basically said, we just can't have this. Americans want border security. Democrats and Republicans want border security. We cannot have this open border. It is a disaster. And he's right about that. So uh, it was nice to hear that from Jay Johnson. All right. Well, when we come back, we're going to talk about COVID um, because the study has just come out uh, specifically about public schools and how masking is affecting children and how schools that have had serious masking rules how they have compared to other schools that have not used masks, how they've compared with, you know, keeping schools open and also uh, COVID infections themselves. And we'll come back with that in just a second. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. in a day when America's families are under attack like never before. Buddy Smith, 
Senior Vice President of the American Family Association. The war against biblical principles rages on numerous fronts. The internet, Hollywood, Washington, D.C., America's corporate boardrooms, and the list goes on. At American Family Association, we're committed to standing against the enemies of God, the enemies of your family, and we recognize it's an impossible task without God's favor and your partnership. Thank you for being faithful to pray for this ministry, to give financially, and to respond to our calls for activism. What you do on the home front is crucial to what we do on the battlefront. We praise God for your faithfulness, and may He give us many victories in the battles ahead as we work together to restore our nation's biblical foundations. 80% of the time, an abortion-minded mother who views an ultrasound or sonogram of her baby will choose life. Here's the story of Candace. The sonogram sealed the deal for me. My baby was like this tiny little spectrum of hope. And I saw his heart beating on the screen. And knowing that there's life growing inside, I mean, that sonogram changed my life. I went from just Candace to mom. Thank you to everybody that has given these gifts. You guys are giving more than money. You guys are giving love. There are currently preborn centers which do not have an ultrasound machine. Would you sponsor a machine today? Dial pound 250 and say keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say baby. Or go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Your love could save a life. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starn. Stand by for news and commentary next. At Liberty University, we're proud to support those who serve and protect us every day, like first responders and past and present military members and their spouses. As thanks for your service, we offer special tuition rates and discounts. You'll also find deployment-friendly classes and degrees tailored to your specific interests and career goals. Learn how Liberty designs degrees just for you by texting DEGREE to 49595. That's DEGREE to 49595. Conservatives, Christians, and parents are waging boycotts against the Walt Disney Company. In recent days, company leaders have openly admitted they are grooming children, intentionally putting LGBT narratives into movies and storybooks. Disney also promised to wage war against the parental rights and education law, known by the far left as the Don't Say Gay Law. The law bans teachers from teaching four-year-olds about sex, gay or straight. Who would have a problem with that? In recent days, conservatives and a number of Christians have announced boycotts hoping to hurt Disney's bottom line, but not the Southern Baptist Convention. In the 1990s, the Southern Baptists led a massive boycott against the Magic Kingdom, but this year they're holding their annual meeting in Anaheim, and they're actually encouraging Baptists to visit Disneyland. One Southern Baptist leader even mocked Christians who are boycotting. Some say the Southern Baptist Convention is at best gone wobbly, at worst woke. Either way, not good. I'm Todd Stearns. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Getter or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Yeah, it turns out bird flu has been spreading quickly because some of the chickens have been using fake vaccine cards. Now, <laughs> what? Yeah, get this, a, a man in Germany is in trouble after he got 90 COVID vaccine shots so that he could sell forged vaccine cards. 90 doses. That guy could eat fried bat for dinner and be fine. And this is annoying. Even after 90 doses, the CDC says he'll probably need another booster in about four months. Oh, finally, a late-night comedian that, you know, is kind of getting on board. There's, there's so much humor in this, well, if you can laugh at death and disease and uh, destruction of the economy and all the rest of it, uh, there is a lot of humor in the science, you know. They're following the science, as we just talked about on Title 42 being lifted at the border. I want to mention... Another story about a kidney transplant family. They are uh, from the Cleveland uh, Children's Clinic Children's Hospital. They have a nine-year-old son who's been needing a kidney transplant for a couple of years. The father is an exact donor, and now Cleveland uh, Clinic Children's Hospital has decided the dad cannot donate the clinic because 
uh, he has not been vaccinated. Of course, the parents, the whole family has had COVID, including the nine-year-old boy, including the father, uh, but they don't pay any attention to that. And the irony of it is attorneys who are representing this family pointed out to them in, uh, in written reports that there is a study that Cleveland Clinic itself did that shows that they did a study of medical workers in the hospital. And um, in the study, the hospital looked at SARS-CoV infections in 52,238 vaccinated and unvaccinated healthcare workers over a five-month period. It found that none of the previously infected healthcare workers who remained unvaccinated contracted COVID over the course of the research, despite a high background rate of COVID-19 in the hospital. Bottom line, natural immunity works, and Cleveland Clinic itself had uh, done one of those studies. Uh, but we have to follow the science, right? That's what they're doing, following the science. We also learned just this morning, I learned that Charles Kalisher, who's the leading author of that fraudulent Lancet paper where they claimed that the COVID origins uh, in the Wuhan lab did not have a natural origin. Or, or, he said, we strongly commend conspiracy theories suggesting that COVID-19 does not have a natural origin, uh, that it couldn't have possibly been created. Uh, but now he's confessing that that was a lie. So he was writing the science at the time, by the way, in the Lancet Journal. And one last thing, uh, Google has now removed uh, frontline doctors from their search. So if you need, you know, if you need help, uh, you can't get it because Google doesn't think you should have that kind of help. You talk about disinformation and danger to us. And then one last story before I introduce our guest. I read just two days ago, yes, three days ago, that New York will mandate masks for children under five years old. And uh, that was declared by Mayor Eric Adams. And that brings me to introducing our guest, Phil Kirpin. Phil is a good friend. He's been with us many times. He does great research. He's the president of American Commitment. And they've just done a study on the effect of mask mandates in public schools. Phil, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Sandy. Great to be with you. You know, just give us an idea where we are with mask mandates. I'm really confused because there's been so much fighting around the country, and I know some have been lifted, some haven't. Can you kind of give us an idea of the scope of masking in schools right now? Yeah, we've made enormous progress. Uh, the vast majority of the country has taken them off over the last really month and a half or so. Uh, there still are a handful of places, uh, unfortunately, that are still imposing mandatory masking on children, but it's a, it's a pretty short list at this point. And so, uh, you know, the major school systems, uh, the places that I was worried would take forever, uh, they've pretty much all removed them at this point. Uh, there are exceptions, St. Paul, Minnesota, for instance, still has them on. Uh, there are a few others I could probably think of. Uh, so, we're, you know, it's not done. But, you know, the, the, the problem, though, is, they didn't remove them because they admitted that they failed. They removed them because they said, oh, the season's over, which tells you they want to bring them back as soon as they can. And uh, they don't seem to want to do the actual analysis to see whether there was any benefit to them. Uh, they haven't actually checked the numbers. So they've got all these models and all these theories, and they say, oh, masks are preventing X number of infections in this model, and you have to mask to keep schools open. And then they never actually checked to see whether mass schools were open more than unmasked schools, whether it actually had the effect they were claiming. So we did that analysis uh, for them. <laughs> we checked uh, the actual data, not the theory or the model, but what actually happened in January and February of this year. And we found that the masked school districts had about four times as many student uh, learning days lost to closure as a percentage. So they were about four times more likely to close uh, than the unmasked school districts. So the exact opposite of what the CDC and the Department of Education said over and over and over again. Uh, they told us masks would keep schools open. In fact, it was the masked schools that were much more likely to close is what actually happened uh, this winter. Okay, well, <clears throat> excuse me. I'll have a follow-up on that for a second but uh, in a minute. But um, So they were claiming that children would infect teachers and each other, and that's why there would be more school closings, right? That was the premise? What they basically said is, if you don't mask, there's going to be so much COVID in your school that you'll be forced to close because you won't be able to staff the schools and you're going to have a disaster, was, the, uh, was, what they, was how they threatened schools and tried to coerce them into putting the masks on this winter. Oh, so, so, you're, so just to repeat what you just said, Schools that enforced masking then, listening, doing exactly what they were told because of the science, of course, 
uh, those that were masked faithfully were the ones that were closed down the most. Why would that be, Phil? I mean, do you have any? I mean, I know this is numbers. Well, I think, uh, Sandy, I think it's because the places that, you know, it's the liberal places that believed in forced masking of kids, and it's the liberal places that believed in school closures. (laughs) So I think. You know, and I also, you know, but beyond that, I mean, I think there is that sort of political correlation. But more than that, I mean, I think that if you went into this winter saying things are not normal, things are still emergency, pandemic, we're going to keep everyone scared and in masks, then you start to see a few cases show up, you're going to freak out and close. If you're a place that's been pretty much normal and you're not running with masks and you get some cases, you say, okay, stay home till you feel better. So the mentality is so different. If you still have a panic emergency type mentality, then you're going to make mistakes like closing schools because those sorts of bad decisions are made in panic. And the places that were more sensible and more back to normal, uh, they by and large avoided those mistakes. You also looked at COVID infections among kids that were in masked schools and kids that in schools that did, did not require masking. And so what did you find with that? Uh, there were more infections in the masked uh, schools than the unmasked. Uh, it was about two and a half times more. Uh, that might just be a product of them doing more testing. So, you know, you have to be a little careful with that. We don't want to do what the other side does and say, see, this proves masks caused infections. We we know correlations are not uh, causative. But I, 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 but I certainly think it disproves this idea that if you mask everyone, you won't have cases in your schools. In fact, you, you had more, uh, is what the data showed this winter. So how in the world? How in the world did you quantify this? Like, Phil, how many? I mean, how many? What was your school sample? Uh, Did you go across the country? Was it a certain area, or how? How did you gather this data? It's it's the 500 largest school districts in the country by enrollment, and so it does miss the it misses basically all the rural areas and all the lower populated areas. So there is that bias in the data set, but that's really the only complete data set that exists. And it does cover about 40% of the students in the country. So it's the largest school districts were the ones that we looked at. And uh, the data is from a company called Burbio that's really a fantastic company that's been tracking all of the school closures for the last two years, all of the mask policies, and uh, it's an excellent data source. This is uh, data that's not publicly available on their site, but uh, a really great activist from Boston who's actually moving to Texas to escape uh, coronamania <laughs> named Emily Burns actually bought their, uh, you know, their subscriber-only data, uh, which was what we used to conduct this analysis. And the, the primary statistical analysis was done by a really smart stats guy from Nashville named Josh Stevenson. And they were kind enough to add my name to it, mostly because I had the idea, but they did the work. Uh, but it, it's, uh, it's very well done, and I did check the numbers, and, and they all check out. You know, just take a moment to, to school people about that by, in contrast to models. Because uh, people, you know, people don't do scientific research. And for the most part, most people, average people, are kind of out of the loop of that. So how would a model work as opposed to what you just did? Well, the models, every model has assumptions. And a lot of times the assumptions that you use when you create the model really drive the results more than the actual data. And so when you uh, look at a lot of these studies that assume that masks reduce transmission, and then they, you know, they take some data about where masks are being used or not, and they take some outcomes and they run it through their model, you know, the assumption is going to drive the outcome. And so you, you can't really prove that something works with a computer model that assumes it works. And yet we've done a lot of that during COVID. We've taken kind of models that are designed with a set of assumptions uh, and then the model is run, and then the media goes crazy about the results without really talking about the fact that the results were determined you know, not by actual observations of the world, but by what the modelers assumed to be the case. And uh, what, what we did with this, we said, you know, we're just going to look at what happened. We're not going to do any, any, we're not going to do any transformations or regressions or any, anything to the data. We're just going to look at exactly what happened and just present it, just place it on the table so people can see. Because, you know, if they were right, the data would not look like this, Sandy. It would not. Uh, you know, it, it, it's not always the case that, you know, it's crystal clear when a policy has an effect when you look at the data. But, you know, when you get the opposite result, overwhelmingly the opposite result of what you were told, uh, what you were told can't be right. And I think this data is pretty compelling. Uh, that there was no benefit uh, to masking over this past winter. And in fact, if anything, by keeping kind of the emergency panic mentality around, you made it more likely 
to have school closures. And I really hope that, you know, we don't fall into this pattern where, you know, because the the CDC and the Department of Education and the local, you know, public health uh, tyrants don't ever want to admit they were wrong, they just start doing this every single fall and winter rather than uh, actually take a real look at the at the facts and the data and let kids let kids have normal lives, which is what you know, all of the evidence indicates we should have been doing, you know, essentially from the beginning. Well, Phil, it sounds to me like this is a great tool for parents. Parents have been the ones uprising in the schools. And if they wanted to get your study, how would they do that? Uh, it's actually, it's on Emily Burns's website, uh, which I don't know the name of off the top of my head, but if you go to AmericanCommitment.org, you've got, our press release on the study is there, and it has the link to the full study. So I would say go to AmericanCommitment.org and click on the press release, and then you can click on the link in the press release to get to the full study. And uh, if you click on the charts in the study, it takes you into kind of an interactive dashboard where you can you know, click around and, and get sort of the numbers behind the charts and all that kind of stuff. And you're absolutely right, because I, every time you've got a local bureaucrat or whoever saying, oh, we have to mask to keep the schools open, you know, show them. They actually mask schools were four times more likely to close. Exactly. How do you explain that? You know? Exactly. This is a great tool. It really is, uh, Phil. But now let's get into the speculation because you and I are political. We think this way. We kind of assess what's going on here. And so um, do you think uh, the schools, you mentioned a little bit of this, but do you think the schools have dropped these mandates uh, just by themselves or it has been pressure? I'm, ass- I'm assuming it's been pressure. How, from your own observation, how effective do you think these parent protests have been in stopping the masking? I think that the backlash and the parent protests uh, have really changed the uh, politics of this issue. And I think that Democrats are extremely fearful of a midterm wipeout. And you know, a polling memo went out from one of Biden's pollsters, I don't know, right before all this happened, right before they sort of did this U-turn on all these restrictions. And uh, it basically said, you know, we need COVID in the rearview mirror to have a chance in the midterms. And so I think that uh, it's principally a political determination uh, by the Democrats, but I don't think that would have happened without parents being willing to stand up and engage. Uh, And I think it was the coverage of that that really changed perceptions because all the people who don't have kids were all for masking kids forever because they didn't, you know, they were told it was a good idea and they weren't paying attention. They didn't care that much. And I think that's completely changed uh, with, you know, all of the engagement that we've seen from parents. So I do think that it makes a massive difference. And frankly, um, I'm really optimistic you know, about education in a way I haven't been in a really long time because uh, it's not just the COVID measures. I think people are engaged now against the, uh, the crazy left-wing curriculum and the wokeness and the critical race theory and the sexual content and you know, all of the stuff that they saw when their kids were on the screens at home uh, and they were just shocked and outraged about. And I think that this is going to be a movement that has staying power. And we're going to really turn education into a winning issue for conservatives. And uh, I hope pass really strong school choice laws in as many states as possible so people don't have to be in these systems if they don't want to, you know, no matter what their income is. And so I, I really think the silver lining of this whole disaster over the last two years is uh, kind of the awakening of this broad kind of backlash movement, this mama bear movement, whatever you want to call it. And um even if we do get COVID in the rearview mirror, we got to keep everyone together and keep pressing on all these other aspects of education. I totally agree, Phil. And I've actually, in my hand on my fantasies, I've thought, oh, could this possibly be the end of our horrific public education system? I don't mean that we shouldn't have a public education system, but the one we've got is terrible. You know, you lose the horrible teachers, uh, lose the horrible unions, and have an actually wonderful educational system as we did. Uh, really up until the 70s in this country, uh, where America's, uh, you know, people went out with these great educations, and now we are really a disgrace. We we score near the bottom of the, of the pit. That happened before COVID. And uh, I, I would hope this would be a revolution. That's what I would hope for too, Phil. Phil Kirpin, president of American Commitment. And if you'd like to see that study, go to AmericanCommitment.org. And you can get the, the figure so that you can share it and maybe tuck it away in a file. If your school has dropped the mask mandates, don't think they aren't coming back. And so this will be a great tool to fight back. Phil, thanks a lot. Appreciate your time this morning. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk.
airing the Addisons. Sherry B and J Mac are on tap to help us navigate the show. Will the Great, where do we go next? All right, let's go to Brad in Arkansas. Hi, Brad. Good afternoon. I enjoy your show as always. Applying scripture to life. You can talk about anything that we have discussed this week or maybe something that you want to bring to our attention. If we don't know about it, we're just going to tell you we don't know about it. You know, and then you'll just have to, you know, judge me. I'm sorry. Bearing <laughs> the Addisons. Weekdays at 2 Central on American Family Radio. I was injured at work in March of 2020, and I thought it was the worst thing that happened to me. And in that time being home, I discovered AFR, and I am so grateful for all your hard work that you do there. God is using American Family Radio to impact America. Thank you, and God bless you. You'll have an opportunity to help us continue to make a difference during our Spring share April 19th, 20th, and 21st. Join us. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. The verses from Colossians I just quoted are immediately followed by, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. The delusion and deception of humanistic philosophy require its prey to become bitter, entitled, and unthankful. To remain impervious to deception, we must abound in thanksgiving to God. Thanksgiving empowers us to reject the captivity of today's grievance culture. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Millions of persecuted believers, they're suffering and they can use your prayers and financial support right now. Hey, it's Michael Woolworth with Bible League International in the country of Zambia, the place where the famous missionary David Livingstone carried out years of ministry. Shadrach is an elder in a shanty church. He had word that there was an attack coming one Sunday and sure enough, 20 radicals showed up in attempt to kill all the Christians gathered for worship in that service, about 200 in number. Now in self-defense, Shadrach had a handgun. He used it on a man named Ishmael, didn't kill him, but he injured him, but nursed him back to health. He was a livestock farmer, so he took care of the man's livestock. The daughter of that man could not read, could not write, so Shadrach would teach her to read and write using a Bible League program. And I can tell you, in grateful response, the entire family and 80 former radicals have come to place their faith in Jesus Christ. They need Bibles at $5 a Bible. Would you pray about it? And then call 800-YES-WORD. 800-YES-WORD. 800-YES-WORD or give at sendbiblesnow.org. That's sendbiblesnow.org. This is Frank Afney with the Secure Freedom Minute. Last night, Tucker Carlson announced a death watch for the Biden presidency. In one of the most insightful and pathetic video clips in American political history, he showed the president of the United States being shunned by former president Barack Obama and, God help us, future president Kamala Harris and everybody else at a recent White House event. Think of it as dead man shuffling. Tucker not only confirmed what I said here 10 days ago, quote, Joe must go, unquote. He powerfully showed that to now be the consensus in partisan Democratic circles. The chilling prospect of Kamala ascending and or the curtain being pulled back on what is effectively Obama's third term demands an urgent effort to identify and recruit a nonpartisan vice president someone of real accomplishment with a robust national security background and who will promise not to run in 2024. This is Frank Gaffney. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. I have a Tesla. Oh, yeah. Okay. Very wonderful car. I really like it. Really happy. I discovered yesterday that if you, if something goes wrong with that car, you get a flat. Yeah. There's no way to get anybody. That's true. There's no, uh, you have one? Manny bought a Tesla because mm-hmm. he's fascinated by um, electric cars right. and the fact that you're not burning gas right. and you're helping the environment. Yeah. So if you, you know, on most 90% of the cars, you can push a button. Yeah, like yeah. an SOS. Somebody, an and, SOS and you something. also have, most cars, you have that, um, a donut. Tesla doesn't give you a spare tire. No, there's no spare what? tire. No, there's no. no spare tire and there's no way no. to get to anybody. They want you to email them if you need help. What if you don't get a signal? Well, this is, this is why I'm bringing it up. Uh-huh. It seems like a crazy problem. 
But yeah. the truth of the matter is, had I, had this happened to me on top of a, a, a road, on some mountain, yeah. I would be very frightened. Yeah. And you, Elon, have brought you know, a piece of Twitter. Well, I'm tweeting you from here. <laughs> yeah. Take some of your money, please. Yeah. And create a roadside assistance thing that doesn't require me to look for a signal because if there yeah. isn't one, you are really screwed. You no. are really screwed. You know, can I, I add to your disaster? <laughs> I remember reading this winter when all those cars were stuck on the highway in that big storm mm -hmm. for hours and yeah. hours and hours. They said that if you had an electric car, they could not have helped you it, because yeah. well, they can't bring gas no, to your car. There's no way to plug in a car in the middle of a snowstorm with all those other cars there. There's a lot of problems with that What I will car. say, though, because um, mm -hmm. Manny just experienced the, uh, the flat tire. Yes. Um, yeah, it must be going around. It, he just experienced the flat tire, but there was a phone number for him to call. Yes, and but did he tell you what happened after it, he called it, it? It took about five hours. It, it, not only did it take five hours, but what they told him was wow. go to your car, go to the thing, the thing on your phone, yeah. and send us an email. Okay, so that was the view. And ladies and gentlemen, that's just simply reality clashing with fantasy. All the stars in Hollywood, uh, the, the woke stars, thought, you know, they're going to help the environment by buying a Tesla. And it's, it's prestigious. It costs a ton of money. But the reality of driving an electric car is now hitting them. Like they were caught in a snowstorm and no one could come. There was no way to bring gasoline there. You had to put, plug it in and there's no plug out on the highway. Oh, yes. And in fact, there's not, there aren't plugs around the country when you're driving. And when you do, there are some charging stations, and that's one of the reasons that in the, the Build Back Better bill or whatever bill passed, and they had all these millions of dollars, uh, they, they're trying to build charging stations. But that really doesn't solve the problem for all the reasons we just talked about. What, are they going to have a, a charging station every mile at every mile marker? Probably not. And, of course, uh, what they don't ever explain to you is that a battery, a battery is not power. It's a source of power. You still have to have power, and that power comes from something. Uh, so uh, an electric car is what we're going to be forced. All these companies are now switching to making electric, electric cars, and they're telling it's us it's better for us. But honestly, they are so expensive, and they're so awkward, as they are just describing on The View, uh, that m very few of us will be able to afford to buy them, and that's just fine. With the left, that's just fine. They really don't want you able to have a personal mobility and personal freedom. So just keep that in mind with all the hoopla. I wish uh, I could have, a, I wish Whoopi would listen to that. I'm not sure she ever will. They went on uh, to t say a few more things. And I want you to hear it because uh, they're pretty alarmed about what it means to drive an electric car. But, of course, the point of their segment was to, uh, to come at Elon Musk for buying the uh, majority shares in Twitter. But that comes at the end. Right now, just uh, in, or, you know, take a pen and paper and take notes about what it means to drive an electric car because they do go on. This is clip six. Yeah. Listen, y'all, these are great <laughs> cars. I love them. But yesterday was the first time I was very afraid because yeah. if I had been in there by myself, yeah. I would not have been able to get to somebody. Yeah. And regardless of what your age is, maybe you're leasing it, it doesn't matter. Yeah. But Tesla, you need to fix this. This is a dangerous situation, especially if you're in the car with an older person, which yeah. is what I was. Not, I'm not the older person I was with. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it, it's so true. Yeah. I mean, you know, my, my friends make fun of me. I'm not really into cars, so I drive like a 15-year-old car. Um, and it's a gas guzzler car. I love this car. And so I always made fun of Manny. I was like, look at you and your little fancy Tesla. You can't get off the road. But if it's a problem that can be fixed, I don't understand why they would not fix it because it is good, better, much better yes. for the climate. And if you your car will, can't be fixed by the AM, not mm -hmm. AME, what is it, the people that come and get you? AAA. 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 Yeah. You know, you can't put these cars on, they can't tow them. So no. you are stuck there. You are, Why you can't are stuck. They, you can't tow them? Beca no, because no. you can't lift it up. You, you can't. can't. It's a I whole feel like thing. Tesla it's a sales whole... are just going to, No, I don't want no, to. Listen, I don't, that's no, not the great, reason I'm saying this. Yeah. I'm car. saying this because this is a fixable problem. Yeah. And all you have to do, I'm sorry, all you have to do is you got enough dough to put a, a, a Tesla group out there that can come and rescue 
Women with children. Yeah. Older people who we'll decided to get yeah. uh-huh. No, not me. Yeah. No, but you because too. Because I can, listen, I can Manny put my Austin. thumb out and somebody will pick me up. Yeah. Don't but, do that. I, that, that, I, I, I will say Manny was on the way to the hospital to see patients. Yeah, and I mean, it's, it's well, true. I had to, I had to help do it. But yeah. the reason um, they're telling me in my ear, the reason we're discussing this is because Elon Musk, with all his dollars, just... You know, became a board a member. That's, that's what I just Twitter. said. Yeah. I, Twitter. I literally you just got said a lot that of money. Okay, so that was a, supposed to be the point, <laughs> but they got off on electric cars. Uh, you know, Elon Musk. For the, I'm sure you all know that he is the designer and producer of Tesla of uh, of Teslas, and so that's how he first came to fame for many of us. And now he's morphed into a whole lot more than that in space, and now now in Twitter, <clears throat> which I want to talk about. But I want to make a po- point about the cars again. Uh, they think if Elon Musk would just spend all of his money on, you know, creating a triple A AAA for, you know, electric cars and uh, having charging stations everywhere and making a way to, to- they, it can all be fixed with Elon Musk's money. It's uh, it's not going to happen that way. It's a huge problem. Uh, and what are you going to do about making it affordable for average people? It's not going to work. Uh, but that's all right. You just won't have a car. So um, that's okay because, you know, the Secretary of Transportation, Pete Buttigieg, has told us we're just going to have to get used to this. Just get used to it. This is the future. Is this the future that you want? Or would you really like to have fossil-fueled, fired, coal-fired cars, uh, gasoline, uh, that actually can run, and we've been using them for decades? And there's no, you know, they already have these uh, ways to reduce, you know, the the pollution in the atmosphere. I remember, I'm old enough to remember when the skies used to be polluted uh, and when they started putting in these <clears throat> catalytic converters, it really did clean up the atmosphere. So we've, we've really dealt with that, but no, 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 not enough, I guess. So, but maybe they're not so committed to the environment uh, when it is inconvenient for them. We'll see how that pans out. But Elon Musk, they had to do a hit on him. That's what they were supposed to be doing. They got a little carried away. Elon Musk is in the news again, uh, and you've probably heard this. I didn't get to it yesterday, but there's more news even today about this. He has uh, bought, purchased kind of a, a, a large share in uh, Twitter. It's a majority share, actually. <clears throat> By majority, that doesn't mean over 50%. It means that he owns more than uh, most people, um, on, than everyone. In fact, I think, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> Jack Dorsey only owns like a fraction of what Elon Musk now owns. And that means Elon Musk is going to be on the board. And so you can imagine that Twitter, the the, the woke <laughs> the woke social media um, uh, mega uh, platform is, well, kind of like a little bit confused about this because Elon Musk seems to actually want First Amendment rights. He actually wants it to be a free platform. And as a matter of fact, um, he was pretty upset when Babylon B, which is, an outlet that he has openly said he loves. And Seth Dillon was with us, what, six weeks ago, something like that. He's the CEO and founder. He's not the founder. Seth is not the founder. But uh, Babylon B is, you know, a, a, a satire, uh, is, is a satire site, Babylon B. And it's funny. And Elon Musk loves it. And he actually did a show with them, uh, with Seth Dillon and, and some of the other people that belong uh, are on the staff of Babylon B, and he said very publicly that that was his. He really enjoyed Babylon B. So what did Twitter do? Twitter suspended Babylon B because they uh, they said that Rachel Levine, who was with the Health and Human Services, it, she, she he named Rachel is the guy that wears like baby doll dresses. I kid you not. Uh, through the airport, I've seen pictures of her with a little purse. Uh, looks like a man because he is a man, big double chin, you know, just just weird. And now he's he's a doctor. He's been pushing transgender policies. So I think it was um, U.S. News and World or Newsweek, I'm not sure which, made uh, Rachel Levine a woman of the year and put put uh, him over on their cover. And Seth Dillon uh, through Babylon Bee then made Rachel Levine uh, man of the year and put them on their cover. And that's why Twitter suspended them. Well, that didn't sit well with Elon Musk, and people think that that's the reason why he went out and purchased majority shares in Twitter. So uh, he wants a free speech platform. Uh, so pray, oh, if I can pronounce this name, Parag Agrawal, he's the Twitter CEO, was um, was on an outlet commenting on what Twitter is all about. And I thought, you, if you can understand him, uh, 
I'm going to tell you what he said, but let's listen to it. It's just 30 seconds. This is clip nine. Our role is not to be bound by the First Amendment, but our role is to serve a healthy public conversation. And our moves are reflective of things that we believe lead to a healthier public conversation. The kinds of things that we we do to what about this is to focus less on thinking about free speech, but thinking about how the times have changed. One of the changes today that we see is speech is easy on the internet. Most people can speak. Where our role is particularly emphasized is who can be heard. Oh, wow. I got to repeat that to you. He says, this is the Twitter CEO, our role is not to be bound by the First Amendment, but our role is to serve a healthy public conversation. And our moves are reflective of things that we believe lead to a healthier public conversation. The kinds of things that we do to work about this is to focus less on thinking about free speech, but thinking about how the times have changed. Uh, One of the changes today that we see is speech is so easy on the Internet. Most people can speak. But our role, which is particularly emphasized, is who can be heard. Well, yes, we did notice that, Parag. We did notice that you like to decide who can be heard. Uh, And so this is, I know one member of the... uh, the leadership team, I don't know if it was a board uh, member because I didn't see a name and I didn't see a description, uh, has resigned. Uh, but the rest of them are kind of tweeting, you know, their tepid support for Elon Musk. But they're announcing that they have no intention of reinstating Donald Trump. Remember the president of the United States was thrown off Twitter? Yeah, he was thrown off Twitter. And so have, you know, like a 100 other certainly really strong conservatives that you know have been thrown off Twitter. And what you have to do is, you know, alter your tweet. You have to alter. I can't even believe we use these words now. Remember when Twitter first came out, I could hardly bring myself to say tweet and Twitter, but now I say it. Uh, But you have to alter your uh, tweet uh, to, you know, please them. You got to make it say what they think you ought to say in order to get back on the platform. And Babylon B refused to do that. So they are they have, are still shut out. They can't get back on Twitter. So it'll be interesting to see if Elon Musk is able, who understands all the, the machinations of the corporate world. I don't. Uh, he has a 9.2% stake in Twitter. Now here's the, here's the wrinkle. You know there'd be a wrinkle, right? The SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, seems to be a little unhappy with the way he reported his Twitter stake. He, like, made a big deal out of it and pronounced it, I think, in a tweet himself uh, and sort of teased, you know, about something about free speech. He didn't use that word. but uh, So he's been kind of playing at this and kind of hinting at what he's trying to do. But the SEC, I think, technically thinks that he gave his report and announced that he would bought these shares late, according to their regulations. So you think that Biden's SEC might come after Elon Musk and try to stop him from doing what he thinks he'd like to do at Twitter? We don't know what he's going to do at Twitter. We can only speculate. I kind of think so. I kind of think you're going to see a battle here. Uh, It's interesting. You have to hand it to him. Elon Musk has some very strange ideas, uh, but he also has some very good ideas. And, and uh, there's, a, there's an intersection with him in terms of just uh, the, the love of freedom, uh, the ability to think well, what you want to think and say what you want to say and let the truth, you know, prevail uh, where the truth can be spoken. So uh, that's what's happening. Lots of news. I didn't even get to everything. Believe that, you know. So, uh, but we'll get to more of it tomorrow. You know, tomorrow, I really want to open the phone lines. I have not talked with any of you in such a long time. So let's plan on doing that tomorrow. All right. Thank you so much for listening. This is Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk.